listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Hello, welcome to our new series of ESL Talk. I hope you enjoyed listening to season one. We took a little break to recharge our batteries and record some new episodes, but I'm happy to say that we're back for a whole new season. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce the new co-host of ESL Talk, Faye. Welcome. Hi. So Faye was actually a guest way back in episode two, so she's making her return on a more longer-term basis. It's great to be here. Hi, everyone. This is really exciting. I had a lot of fun recording uh, the guest episode, so I'm glad to be back um, as a host this time. So maybe I'll tell you all a little bit more about myself. I did when I was a guest, but you may not have heard that. So I've been a teacher for over 14 years now, teaching ESL. And I started teaching when I was in college in Brazil, where I'm from, and I was uh, majoring in design, and I just fell in love with it. And I got my degree and never looked back, just have just been teaching ever since. And when I moved to Canada in 2010, I actually took the opportunity to finally get a teaching diploma. And later I completed uh, the master's degree in TESOL and applied linguistics through the University of Leicester, same as Daniel has, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. me too. Yeah. Yeah. Coincidentally, that's not how we met, but yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that's what we both got. And over the years, I've taught all sorts of levels of general English and business English, EAP and exam prep for the Cambridge exams, which is actually uh, one of my specialties now, uh, prepping even teachers for the proficiency exam. And I've also um, had lots of experience as a teacher trainer for TESOL and as a head teacher at a school here in Vancouver. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Instagram at learningwithfay, or my website is also up now with learningwithfay.com. And Faye is F-E-Y, by the way. Yeah, and wonderful. yeah, do get in touch with me. Yeah, I definitely suggest everyone takes a look at that because, um, you know, it- 
as a teacher, even, you know, I learn a lot from it. It's always great to see what other teachers are doing and, mm -hmm. you know, how they promote themselves. So that's wonderful. Thank you again for joining us, Faye. And I'm mm -hmm. sure we're going to uh, have a lot of fun over the next few weeks. Oh, yeah. So we've got a lot of great topics to cover in series two of ESL Talk. Um, today, we're going to start by discussing the teaching of other subjects using English and ESL. So I know a lot of us are in international schools or we teach English as well as maybe business or, you know, we incorporate other the subjects into our lessons. Um, this is something a lot of us have to do and we have to mix, you know, English as a language, as an art with other subjects as well. Um, yeah, this is a very relevant topic nowadays. English, as we know, is now a global language and English immersion schools have really taken off all around the world. You can find English immersion schools in every country. And what happens in a lot of the cases is uh, these schools hire ESL teachers to teach these subjects like art, geography, math even. And yeah, it can be quite challenging sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And then just to add to our discussion a little bit later in our episode, we're going to be talking to Eric, who's a vastly experienced English and social studies teacher. And he's currently teaching American history to ESL students in Oklahoma in the USA. Um, so it'll be really interesting to hear his perspectives and his experience. Um, so let's get started with our discussion today, Faye. Um, first of all, have you ever had to teach other subjects to ESL students? And what was your experience with this? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I haven't really had to teach other topics like that. But I was a student in an immersion school back in Brazil when I was in kindergarten. That's actually how I learned English first. Um, I went to English immersion kindergarten. All our classes were in English taught by ESL teachers and they ranged in topics from art to sports. I remember we had like, I learned about Van Gogh and uh, we had like uh, PE classes basically all in English. And it was a really great way for me to learn um, naturally. And it's one of the reasons I believe I became so fluent at a very early age, a very young age. So what are some subjects that you think help students improve their English, Daniel? So I've incorporated a lot. I haven't taught standalone subjects on their own, but I have incorporated like PE when I was teaching in Korea. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of activity, physical activity, which was what my dissertation was about. So I used that as kind of research. Um, history is always, I think, really is a really good subject that students enjoy learning about. Uh, music, again, can be great combining it with English, especially with younger learners. Mm -hmm. um, and then science as well can be really cool for maybe teenagers or slightly older learners um, because, you know, science is quite an advanced topic and it's quite fun. So I think you can get a lot out of that by combining it with English. Um, mm -hmm. Again, not just teaching that subject by itself, but kind of combining it with um, English. So um, Faye, can teaching ESL students about other subjects, can that help them improve their English? I mean, how do you think you benefited from, from your experiences? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I believe that the, the main thing is it takes the pressure and the focus off of language learning and mm -hmm. it makes um, our acquisition, language acquisition happen a lot more naturally, mm -hmm. kind of like how we acquired our first language. Um, it's hard to do that completely as an adult because we want to rationalize things. But when we do that, uh, like I said, like the focus shifts a little bit and you do end up learning the language in a more almost passive way and more relaxed way. And that was definitely the case for me. That's uh, it definitely helped me learn it more naturally. Right. Um, and what about as an English teacher, though? Do you do you have a lot of overlap with your content? 
Um, depending on what I teach. I mean, for example, I teach a lot of IELTS and that's a pretty, pretty big chunk of what I teach right now. And definitely because IELTS, you have to be able to use English flexibly, talk about a wide range of topics and ideas and, you know, be able to discuss complex and complex ideas and issues, you know, in detail. So definitely um, I'll generally teach with a focus each lesson. So it might be about art. It might be about history. It might be about mm -hmm. science, music, sports. So even though it's English, we're incorporating that vocabulary, those ideas, some different phrases or some special you know, phrasal verbs or idioms that are connected. So definitely they do overlap. And I think it's a really useful way to build motivation, build interest, and hopefully build learning as well. Um, so you've kind of touched on this already, but as a student, what were the benefits of you learning these other subjects in English when you were um, in immersion school as a, as a, as a young Faye, as a child? Yeah. I mean, it's difficult, uh, to, to, to look back as it's been a long time, mm -hmm. but I do, I, I remember that time. And when I, I remember that time, I don't remember it as me learning a language. I just remember it as me having fun and learning, uh, learning, just learning in general. And like I said, I remember learning about Van Gogh. I remember uh, learning uh, how to play dodgeball. So, and I, I, I remember the, the subjects we learned. So it made, made that process more memorable in that sense. And I think that's very beneficial because it helps you retain the language because it's in context, right? Right. Very uh, applicable. And it's, it's in, a, in an applied way to like how, how we use the language in everyday mm -hmm. uh, conversation and studying different subjects. So I, right. I think that's a, that's a really good benefit. And I, I mean, speaking of uh, young learners, I know that you have experience teaching young learners, which is something mm -hmm. I, I've only ever been a young learner. But mm -hmm. uh, how do you think teachers can incorporate that um, or other subjects into their English instruction? Yeah, I think for young learners, if you're teaching maybe groups of young learners online or you have, you know, two or three younger students that you might teach English to, I think it's really important to find out what interests them and what they like and what they enjoy. Because like you've said, if you can put it in context, and students can attach some knowledge or some prior interests, some prior, you know, motivation to it, then they're going to learn much more effectively, hopefully. So what I try to do is when I speak to my students, I ask them, you know, basic, simple things, if their level is quite low, you know, what, what sports do you enjoy? What food do you like? What do you like doing on the weekend? You know, talk, talk to me about your friends, about your family. And then we can start to connect those different motivations with content, with materials, with some um, lessons. And then by doing that, it's a really nice, easy way to also indirectly help students improve their vocabulary, improve their confidence and help them to see, actually, I learned all these things, but I didn't even realize. I think that's the, the key to really effective mm -hmm. teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely the, like one of the best ways to learn. Mm -hmm. Great. So there you have it. Uh, just to get started today, we can expand and grow our English teaching skills while helping our learners learn new subjects too. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Now it's time to introduce our guest for today, Eric, who's going to share his experiences, um, advice, and tips for you to succeed even more when teaching other subjects using ESL. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome, Eric. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, Eric. Um, let's get started. Let's get into today's interview. So, Eric, um, can you first of all just tell our listeners a little bit about your teaching journey so far? Absolutely. So I graduated with a BS in anthropology. Um, and when I left college, I knew that I wanted to travel. And one of the avenues to do that was through teaching um, abroad. And so I went to Costa Rica for a year where I got my TEFL certificate, which is teaching English as a foreign language. Um, I spent my first year teaching uh, basically adults in a, in a business setting, uh, some of the slang that goes with business and how to be more conversational and laid back. And there came a time where I knew I wanted something more structured. And so I looked elsewhere and that led me to South Korea where I taught for two years in a city called Ulsan, um, a suburb actually of Ulsan, uh, where I taught middle and early high school. And then when I was you know, kind of winding down in Korea, I knew I wanted to settle back down in the States. So I moved back to my hometown, which is Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I started in a bilingual program. Uh, and then I teach high school. I've taught uh, both regular ed, advanced, and English language learners in a traditional brick and mortar setting in the United States. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Um, quite quite an interesting journey. When you first started teaching back in Korea, though, uh, did you have to teach or implement any other subjects into your ESL instruction as well? Well, we were focused mainly on 
the English aspect, but we did incorporate a lot of cultural aspects. So um, building up what is, you know, for me, American culture or really English speaking culture. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that Dan in his experience brought in a lot of English culture and our Canadian and South African friends did the same for their culture as well. But getting students to understand the lifestyle that mm -hmm. we live um, in our country, to me as an anthropologist with that background is almost as important as the English aspect. And I think it brings in a lot of interest for kids too. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. That's a good point. Yeah, for sure. So when you're like trying to introduce these other subjects, Eric, how did you frame them to students to help them understand and follow and kind of combine it with the ESL teaching? Sure. I think having a, you know, aspects that, that touch all types of learners is key. So hitting those visual, some of the social emotional stuff, that cultural piece, if you can show students um, how these things actually are integrated into your life, then it becomes a lot more easy to connect to the vocabulary and maybe sentence structures. You know, if you're trying to teach someone how to drive a stick shift car, it's a lot easier to get them behind the wheel and show them how the, the manual transmission works than to sort of just say, here's a diagram, follow these steps, you know, over and over and over again. And um, this experience you had then back in Korea, how did that uh, help you when you came back to the US? Did, did it change your approach to teaching at all? Do you think it affected that? Absolutely. I think one of the things about teaching in Korea is that you know, you're, you're sort of expected to be uh, the finished teaching product when you step up. And mm -hmm. up until that point, I had had such a laid back teaching experience that I, I really had to kind of get into gear quickly. And, and, you know, that experience helped me to be more adaptable in the classroom, which is essential in an ESL setting. Um, I think if you can't pivot to you know grab onto something that a student is interested in then it's it's a lot harder and um, having that experience of needing to shift and adapt and change in my ESL classroom made me a better teacher in a in a traditional sense as well mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and we've been talking today about obviously implementing other subjects into ESL and you know helping students who speak other languages as well as English so why do you think in particular history is a good subject for learners? Obviously, I know you teach history now. Um, why do you think they should learn about it? And how does that connect well with ESL and, and English language instruction? Absolutely. So my current role uh, has been basically students who move in from other countries uh, to what is a pretty large school district in my hometown. Uh, they come in with basically nothing. And that means no English, but also sometimes a lack of actual experience in a brick and mortar classroom. And mm -hmm. so it's been important for me because of the way that American schools are structured that, uh, you know, in second grade, they're receiving a civics class in fifth grade, they're receiving uh, basically early American history. Um, and then again, in eighth grade, and then again, in uh, 11th grade. And so we really try to create structure in our schools around standards that are, uh, you know, a lot of civic engagement. And so when a kid moves from the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, and is 14 and has never both, you know, spoken English or sat in a classroom before, uh, you know, they've got a huge burden to catch up on. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why we use the model that we do, uh, this sort of blended uh, history and English approach is because 
it's trying to kill two birds with one stone. Mm -hmm. um, students really, you know, once they kind of get the feeling of what a classroom is like, uh, our goal is to slowly transition them into a regular classroom. And so, you know, giving them, hey, this is English language learning, but also, you know, we've got to talk about some of those key figures in American history uh, as well. And, and that also brings in a cultural piece for us that for, you know, all of us, there are, almost mythological characters in our history that mm. you know, students in a regular ed classroom, it's a touchstone for them, but for these kids, they've never heard of it before. So that's really where we try to uh, bring in some of those, some of those things. They're just, they're just catching up really. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a, a lot of ground to cover as well. And in, in, let's say one class, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I guess you, you actually, it's probably really rewarding, but um, linguistically then like these students, like you said, don't have the English language yet, apart from all these other things. Do you think it's important for them to know the vocabulary and the places and the people that they're studying ahead of time so that they can access that content? Or do you think they can actually learn the content without having that background first? Well, I think it depends on the approach that you're taking. Um, I have been very lucky to have a, uh, a team around me that teaches all subjects to English language learners. And so if we're taking on a particularly complex issue like the American Civil War, uh, mm -hmm. I can give my language arts counterpart, my English uh, counterpart, a list of vocabulary terms, and then she can front load those things into the vocabulary. So that when I'm bringing them in for, you know, I tend to do more um, experiential type learning. And so having some of those things front loaded makes things a lot easier. If I didn't have that support, I would be front loading a lot more uh, mm -hmm. because some of that vocabulary, you know, when they transition to a regular classroom, it's, it's, their, it's their life preserver. So it's mm -hmm. going to keep them afloat. Right, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah, just just kind of connected to what you just said, Eric. Um, in terms of learning all these other subjects and kind of blending that blending that in with the English experience, what are some advantages? How can you connect these two life skills outside of the classroom and kind of you know helping them to build more kind of social skills and being able to cooperate and, and work with others maybe outside their you know normal circles? Absolutely. Well. You know, I think it's it's almost like cheating for me because the students that I have in my classroom at times are from, you know, 15 different countries. And so they mm -hmm. don't speak a common language. Um, we find often that, uh, you know, when we have that that kind of melting pot or, or mixing of students, that it's a lot easier when their common language is English. Uh, that's not necessarily the case when you have a population of students from one specific country. Mm -hmm. It can be a little more difficult. So yeah. setting some of those ground rules, like, you know, when we cross the threshold to this classroom, our language is English and, and that has to be the case. Mm -hmm. Not to, you know, set aside another language or put down other languages, but our, our common goal, our common theme here is to learn English. Um, English language learning in general is such a skills-based, uh, you know, endeavor because part of any language is learning to speak and you need a partner for that. Uh, learning to write. Someone has to read your writing. And so all of the skills mesh, you know, sort of by their nature, but how you kind of build them into your class is, is key. So I've been lucky that uh, I have this, this mixture of students that, you know, my Democratic Republic of Congo student maybe knows a little French, but he doesn't know any Spanish. And my mm -hmm. Venezuelan student 
certainly can't speak Burmese or Zomi or any of the other languages that I see. Wow. So just tying into that, how do you overcome these barriers? You know, where some students might come into your classroom with almost zero English ability compared to students who maybe have a little, compared to students who maybe you know, a little bit more comfortable. How do you kind of mesh all those different abilities and help students to all be able to access the material? Sure. I think having a classroom culture that's supportive is, is key. Um, mm-hmm. Building some little pieces into the classroom too that you know, encourage students to be interested and curious about each other's cultures and backgrounds is necessary to creating that kind of happy classroom culture that we want. And so um, little things like uh, creating a word of the week where one student gets a chance to, you know, express themselves in their own language through the structure of something that we've uh, created. You know, one that sticks out is I had a student from Burma um, who, you know, our school district has a high population of uh, people from one state in Burma. Uh, they're refugees who have been invited by a church in our community. And this other student didn't speak the same language, but, you know, giving him the structure to say the word of the day is, and then giving Mm -hmm. his example and teaching where there's a call and response, or there is something that's very, it's like a security blanket for students. They've Mm -hmm. had the chance to practice. Uh, You're giving them that, that little release of responsibility so that they're taking control of a situation and being successful. Uh, I think mm-hmm. definitely allows students to feel comfortable, but also be interested and curious in another student's culture. Well, that's actually a really uh, great idea for any, I'd say, uh, teaching setting of ESL. Um, for teachers that are listening, maybe that have like a really low level class, we often think, oh, my students can't communicate. I should do all the work for them. But like you said, you just give them a little bit of responsibility guided. Obviously, they can definitely feel more confident and participate more. That's great. Mm-hmm. And are there any um, like strange or humorous situations that have come out of your lessons, like as an, ex- like, uh, uh, let's say, a uh, result of this clash of cultures, right? Does sure. that build a stronger environment? What do you think? I think, you know, none that immediately spring to mind. I think they're, the problem is that they're too numerous and none, nothing's just <laughs> jumping into my brain. But like, yeah. I, I really think that setting up a, you know, kind of a pad for students to fall on and say, you made a mistake, you know, that's not a big deal. And brushing it off allows for students to have comfort and Mm -hmm. and feel more, um, you know, like they can fail with, with a little bit of, uh, of grace and dignity. I would say that um, the one thing that I love about the ESL classroom is the relationships feel so organic because there is a, a point where, I don't know how to express myself to you and you don't know how to understand my expression. Mm -hmm. So you just end up laughing and kind of going, ah, whatever. And and Mm -hmm. moving on. So I think, yeah, I think it's a problem of it being too numerous to. to (laughs) That's true. And I I guess every day it kind of happens as something that pops up. And I think, you know, for us as teachers as well, it's, it's kind of a signal. Don't take yourself too seriously. And kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, you, if you make a mistake or something doesn't go right, you, know, you got to be able to laugh at yourself as well. I think that really helps with the, the classroom environment. Exactly. We got to model being able to make fun of ourselves so they can <laughs> exactly. do the same. <laughs> yeah. um, and now talking about more about um, online teaching that a lot of, uh, of, of us teachers have had to uh, jump into kind of um, by surprise. How does your approach change from the classroom to online and vice versa? 
Well, I think that, you know, it's been difficult being kind of thrown in without a, without a life raft uh, mm-hmm. to kind of, okay, now tread water for like a year. Um, I think there are so many tools out there and I don't know, you know, none of these are paid sponsors or whatever, but like Google's Jamboard has been really excellent for me. Um, once you learn how to, you know, incorporate those things in an interesting way, uh, students can do some nonverbal communication, some written communication, uh, tools like Padlet. Uh, our learning management software, Canvas, has been uh, a nice backbone for students to, you know, they know every day where they're going, what they need to get, and then they can see, okay, this is the plan for today. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would be disingenuous to say it hasn't been very difficult, especially from an ESL standpoint, because what we're doing is communication and it's a lot harder when they can't see, you know, their peers necessarily or what we're doing in person. And that makes it very hard, especially that nonverbal communication piece that you see in really low level, uh, Mm -hmm. English language learners, where Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's a lot harder to play charades when you're a tiny box in a, um, (laughs) in a a battery of 24 people. So it's true. I think using your educational tools in unique and different ways, finding things that work for you and jettisoning the rest, not Mm -hmm. saying, well, my district or my school has this list of a hundred things. I need to be using at least 60 of them. No, pick your three favorites, get really good at them and use them to the best of the the tools ability and your ability so that your students are comfortable and you're comfortable. That's great advice. That seems to be kind of a recurring theme for us here on the podcast, just focusing, not trying to do it all or learn it all or be everywhere at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. Right, exactly. So just one final question for today, Eric, and thank you for sharing, you know, your experience and knowledge. Clearly you're an expert and obviously very passionate about this, which is great to hear. Um, So what advice would you give to some maybe people who are just starting to get their feet wet into teaching, or maybe they've been teaching for a little time. Um, maybe they want to teach other subjects like business or history, like you've, like you've mentioned, or implement that into their ESL classes. What's one piece of advice you'd give or some suggestions that might help them? Um, the two things that immediately jump to mind are your passion is contagious. So mm-hmm. if you have passion for a subject, if you have passion for helping students, if you feel like you can make a positive difference in a student's life, then you're already like 90% of the way there. Um, I think something that Faye said earlier is is the other key, which is knowing that it's okay to not be the best at something, try new things. If it fails, so what? You'll get them on the next one. Um, Mm -hmm. Never stop improving on, you know, who you are as a teacher and you're never the finished product. Uh, There's always something else out there that can make you a better teacher you can always learn from somebody else's experiences and keep an open line of communication on things like this, where, you know, I've loved coming and sharing my experiences and I've loved listening to previous episodes. So thank you for mm-hmm. running this. Great. That's, That's great awesome. to hear. Very inspirational words, Eric. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Eric. Um, we'll hold it there for today. It's great to hear your experiences, your stories, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of series two. We're making lots of upgrades behind the scenes to help move us up to the next level. So do stay tuned for future episodes. Yeah, remember to subscribe to receive the latest episodes in series two. You can also follow us on Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast, or you can send us an email to ESL Talk Podcast at gmail.com. 
Yeah, we always love hearing from you and we always love to hear your stories on our podcast as well. Um, I already know some of our listeners have reached out to be guests on future episodes. So thank you if you are interested and you do want to share your story and you know talk about what you're passionate about, then please do get in touch. Yes, and be sure to tune in next week for a brand new episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes and to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for even more ESL teaching content. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.